Welcome to Get Your Rocks Off with Mick Wall, the world's leading rock and metal writer. Each week, he'll unpack stories, stories that you won't find in print. So pour yourself a Jack and Coke and get ready to get your rocks off. This episode is brought to you by the Get Your Store. For all of your Get Your Rocks Off merch, including t-shirts, face masks, and yep, Hotel Tropicana coffee mugs, head over to getyourstore.com. And welcome hello. to another hello. Hello there. Hello, hello America. Yeah. Hello America. Do you remember that one, Sean? No. <laughs> liar, liar. Now Coco's with me, aren't you, Cokes? He's by my feet. He's my. He'll be joining in at some point. As soon as he there goes he to sleep and starts snoring. Yeah. Speaking of which, don't forget and get your merch. Oh, get your merch. Get your merch. Get your merch.com. Straighten your mic. Oh, f- look, I mean, you're not, you're going well, I want people to obsessive hear you. compulsive people again. People may not want to hear you. Is your, but micro- I want is your microphone to want to hear. straight? What's the matter if it's straight or not? Sound goes in the same way, goes in the front. Oh, listen to the sound mm. engineer. Yeah. Listen to. John Langer Hop. Yeah. John Mutt yeah, Hop. I'll be turning you down. That'd be my first act. Less uh, of the little guy. <laughs> right, so today's subject under consideration yes. is what I'm going to call the Nearly Bands. Oh, the Nearly Men of Rock. The Nearly Men of Rock. These are bands... Uh, it wasn't their talent that stopped them becoming more successful. It was it was either sheer bad luck, or they say character is destiny. That's there's probably something in that with some of not all of them. Some that's right, but not it, not every you know not everyone can make it. That's there's just only there's only a certain amount of rooms at the top. And then there are some that appeared to have made it and then yeah. faded Got, fa- faded away. Yeah. So today we're going to do British bands, but in a future episode we'll do American bands because there's and a lot l- of them. L- let's face it, you're going to if you, you're going to be delighted to appear in this episode. <laughs> Me? No, no. If you're a nearly oh, band, I see. <laughs> you're going. To, I hope I'm on that list. It's like when they do a list of nearly writers. Oh, I hope I'm on that. Do they do lists of nearly writers? See, I, w- I wouldn't know because I've never you, been on yeah. that list. No. You know? Didn't no, I, get up to the nearlies. No, I'm I'm not I'm not a nearly guy. No, no. I'm an all or nothing. Mm. You know. Well, yeah. We as is, what as, it is. as my reputation would suggest. Would suggest. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to start the ball rolling. Go on then. With one of the, I think one of the great nearly bands. Well, let me say that. Let's first of all, before we do that, I'm going to interrupt because I thought of You're this. You're going to interrupt when you when you when you when you made this. Uh, highly, put, you put highly this idea forward. When you put this idea forward. Nick Hornby, you remember him? The guy wrote uh, Fever Pitch and um, About a Boy or About no, a Girl or whatever he? it was. Nick Hornby, know, he's a writer, he's a music book writer. About Arsenal. He wrote a book about Arsenal, Fever Pitch, and that was what I really briefly wanted to say. There's a section in Fever Pitch, and it's about a footballer called Gus Caesar, and it's one of the most famous bits of the book because basically Gus, Gus Caesar played for Arsenal, but only for a few games. 
and he became a bit of a figure of fun to the crowd because he made a big mistake in a in the Littlewoods FA uh, Littlewoods Cup final that Arsenal lost to Luton Town. Gus Caesar made this error, and then every time he played after that. As soon as the ball came towards him, the crowd would just start going, whoa, and it put him off. It put him right off, you know, and he didn't make it because of that. But Nick Hornby writes this section. He goes, look, what you've got to remember is Gus Caesar grew up and he was the best footballer in his street, right? And then he went to school and he was the best footballer in his school. And then he got in the district team. He was the best footballer in the district team. So he went to Arsenal. And Arsenal have this massive selection process of 100 kids at a time. And he gets through that. Not as he get through that, he gets into the junior team. And then he gets a professional contract. And by this point, 95% of the people who want to be footballers have fallen away. Yeah. Gus is still there. Then he gets in the reserves, okay? And he, and he still now there's like 22 or 23 people who are playing for Arsenal. And he's one of them. And then he gets in the Arsenal team and he doesn't quite make it. And people go, well, he's, a, you know, he's the equivalent of a nearly man. But you think he got that far. Absolutely. So I think it's worth saying, in these, when we call these bands nearly bands, out of all the bands that there are, I mean, these guys get almost all the way. It's just not quite. That, that, I, I love that you uh, said all that because it's so true. Um, I remember when I first started reviewing groups, I was 19 and still of that age where... Um, the idea of maybe having my own band or something like that. Mm. I, 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 it was in the balance. You've still got that idea, haven't you? You <laughs> said to me, we're called the old men or something. Old men rocks or something I like no that. I have no idea yeah. what you're talking yeah. about. No idea. You and Ross, you... You and Ross are going to form. <laughs> <laughs> no, like Coco's off now. Like. Yeah. Um, no, um, oh, you put me off. I put you off. Oh, because oh, you were going you to say me, something really you've nice. Interrupted Ooh, and put you me put off. me off. Ooh, you yeah, I was about off. to spill Bon yeah. Mo's. Yeah, about, bon the, about the nearly bands of rock. Oh, so I'm 19, and I'm thinking, you know, but I tell you what, absolutely stopped me ever, ever thinking about it again. You weren't any good. No, I have clearly <laughs> a, a, an abundance of uh, talent. Yes, an abundance yes. of talent. But I trained it in a new direction, and I'll tell you for why. Because that first year I was reviewing groups, um, I was reviewing very, very occasionally I'd review a group that became well-known. But, I mean, once in a blue moon. Yeah. Every single night I was seeing... Because even when I wasn't reviewing, you know, it was a badge of honour to get... There's a bloke here from Sounds magazine, yeah. you know. So you were always under that kind of... That was always going on. My God, John, every single band was a band you would never have heard of again, you know. But I'd be there in that pub, that club, um, and I'd see how fucking awful it was and how hard they had to work for nothing. Twelve people. And they're not even that good. Yeah. And then they have an argument at the end of it, and now they've got to pay the van. And there's like, it just seemed to me such a schlep. The, the odds are so stacked against you. They really you. are. Even if you're good. I mean, you, you know, you talk about those bands. There'll probably be one guy in each of those bands who who is decent. Uh, and and there were, and they would go on and join other groups yeah. and become famous. I mean, Phil Collin of Def Leppard, you know, was in a nearly group called Girl. He was, yeah. Uh, and girl was and, good, and so was was Phil Lewis in Phil girl, Lewis, was who the was then in LA girl. Guns, and LA Guns became who then became an even bigger nearly band. <laughs> 
But no, let's not. Let's not. We'll do that another time for the American bands. Um, but so, you would, but you would have these, you know, these one guy, and they're just not quite in the right band, or they're not been put together with the right co-writer or the right record company or whatever. It wasn't so that they lacked huge, talent. Yeah, no, so well, sometimes a, so, it was just management. Yeah, so there's a huge falling away of mm. of of talent, a constant slew of talent. And and also you need, <clears throat> you know, there's that saying, uh, very many men can, very very few do. Yeah. And I, I, I could, I'm not going to because I don't want to upset these people, but I could name you at least three people right now who, for me, are definitely the most talented musicians I've ever worked with, and none of them have ever been near the fucking charts. Yeah, that's and right. And no one's ever heard of them. Yeah, yeah. Because, because they, sometimes it's luck, but I think a lot of it, in my experience, has been they just don't have that, it's that, Come what may. Yeah, it's, that, it's, that, it's that thing that someone like Steve Harris would have in abundance. No one is going to say Steve Harris is the best musician they've ever seen. I mean, he's a good, yeah, high standard professional musician. But lots of people can play as well as Steve Harris. Yeah, yeah. But it's that drive and that will. vision to 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 put your you know to put your vision before people. Um, you, you, you re- and, and that's why, you know, you'll get, um, oh, so-and-so is a beautiful singer. He never made it. Uh, he's a much better singer than David Lee Roth. Yeah. <laughs> We're yeah, talking about yeah. singing, yeah. dude. That's right, yeah. This is yeah. not about singing. Yeah, yeah. This but, is qu- about- but quite often, even in the kind of what you would call the nearly bands, you'd have that incredibly pushy character, the Lars type, the Steve Harris type, who's trying desperately to drag everyone along with them. And in and those then, two examples, succeeding. Yeah, and the, but then you've, the brakes have got to fall your way. You know, the brakes have to fall your way. They have. Um, so there's a number of factors why people don't make it and we think they were talented enough to, or, or, or that word should. Mm. I don't like the word should. I don't like the word deserving. Um, because life just doesn't pan no. out that well, way. Look, yeah, you're right. You're but right. I'll, I'll start the ball rolling Go with on this then. one. Go on then. The Choir Boys. She the don't choir. love me anymore. It's Spike, and we're now Spike's in the room, man. We're joined in the yes, studio yes, by, by the by choir boys singer Spike. Sorry. Welcome, Spike. Why, I man, I. Sorry, is that Brian Johnson? <laughs> Do that again. Same part of the world, wasn't it? Spike, Spike, Ginger. Well, Ginger was in the choir. Boys. I know he was. That's why I said it. <laughs> I'm not. I, I'm not. You know, I do know these things. Do You're not you? telling me things I don't do know. Do you? I don't, do you really? You don't. You don't know Axl Rose's they came, cornrows. They came at fifteen a, years yeah, old. They came a steaming down from Newcastle. The choir boys. Is it true they were originally called the Toilet Boys? Uh, no. Well, it, the the thing, and, and I remember the choir boys came along and talking of having that one sort of connection or member or thing that stuck in people's minds early on with the choir boys was that Nigel Mogg was in was in the band. Because and his... Nigel's uncle yeah. was Phil Mogg, who yeah. was the singer, singer in singer of UFO. So they kind of had this, you know, if you knew one thing about the choir boys early on, it was that Nigel Mogg was in the band. So all of a sudden Nigel he could open certain doors to certain leagues and gigs and they'd always be at them. I think they had a residency at the marquee quite early on. You're not answering the question. Something like that. Were they called the Toilet Boys? No, they were called the Queer Boys. 
But and before they, they were the queer boys, were they the toilet boys? I don't know if they were ever the toilet boys. No, there was a group called the toilet boys. In but your, it wasn't that, that was your band. <laughs> they were called the queer boys. not bo- a very they nice were, thing were, to say. They is were it? called the queer boys and they, was were, that when you were, they were prevailed upon to change it. And actually, Ginger, who was in the band at the time, Ginger, who went on to, to form the Wild Hearts, um, had a sideline in Kerrang. There used to be a page called Culture with a K, and it would review books. Well, I say it would review books. If Stephen King or James <laughs> Herbert released a new, published a Sean new book, Hudson. Sean Hudson published a book, then Culture would review it. And if a film came out that was a horror film, Culture would review it. And they were quite often reviewed by Ginger under his pseudonym, which I can't remember. But he was a great fan of um, I, I, schlocky horror movies and books I, and so I reviewed on. Conan the Barbarian oh, for Culture, you? yes. <laughs> That's very much the sort of thing we would have done. Yeah. But, but do you know what I used to do quite often with Culture in the very early days was you'd get tickets to go and see the film, whatever it was. I remember yeah. going with Xavier. That was the whole reason it existed. <laughs> to, get t- to get tickets it, to go to stuff. It really or was. to get people to send you the books you wanted. It really was. Yeah. Um, and I, I went with Xavier Russell, Xavier Russell, to see This Is Spinal Tap. Oh, that's interesting. I was his plus one. He was reviewing it. And I, it took me about 20 minutes to realise it was a comedy. Yeah. I genuinely just thought, thought it was a documentary. This is just my life, mate. This is... Yeah. I'm thinking, oh, are you meant to... Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. thinking I'm going to be in this in a minute. Because <laughs> I remember that gig. <laughs> um, but I remember... What was the other one? I got so... You didn't get paid much. You get like 10 quid or 15 yeah. quid of little reviews. And I got fed up with it. So I used to go and buy... Koran came out every two weeks... So I used to go and buy Time Out magazine, which used to come out every mm. week and would have all the film reviews in it. And I just used to copy that. But I used to make a point of saying the opposite. Yeah, yeah. So t- <laughs> Time Out would be going, it's a masterpiece. Yeah. It's the film of the year. And I'd be going, I've never seen so much rubbish in all my days. Um, truth is, I oh, had actually yeah. seen it. Actually, what that's right, that... Talking of the books we did review, I remember. Do you remember that guy Clive Barker, who oh, was yeah. a horror writer? Yeah, horror. We reviewed one of his books because ended up at this party. He get, he became sort of because he did Hellraiser, which that. we all thought was great. You know, it was all about uh, I don't know, it's like slightly sadomasochistic monsters and stuff. Um, and he had this. Yeah, he he threw a big party in. He had a house in Wimpole Street. Put one of those big townhouses in Wimpole Street. Ringing bells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a thing. That was why culture existed. So we could go, (laughs) when there were nights, there weren't heavy metal. We could go off and do those things. But talking about having your moment, so Ginger would do these reviews. And, um, yeah, we're not going to spend hours on each of these bands, but Choir Boys Moment comes along. They sign to EMI and they're managed by Sharon Osbourne. And you think this is the point at which it's either going to happen or it doesn't. And Ginger came in the office to file his, you know, culture reviews. Oh, I've got to go and see Sharon, you know. And we're all going, whoa, you're going to get fired. You're going to get fired. (laughs) Joking. He came back in about two hours later with a face like death. Fired. Yeah. Fired. And I remember thinking, well, that's the end of the band. he He was like the slash of the group. Well, no, he wasn't. He wasn't. That's the thing. He was like the mad kid of the group because the slash type figure was Guy 
Bailey, was that his name? And Guy Bailey, wear, yeah. And he actually probably even did wear the hat. But <laughs> but it was Guy and Spike who were the sort of the the toxic twins thing. Yeah, yeah. Ginger was the mad guy standing next to them. Yeah. And I actually thought, what you know, what's going to become of Ginger? Then the next time I hear of Ginger, Dante Benuto, our chum, had signed him up. In the Wild Hearts. In the Wild Hearts. And said, oh, you've got to listen to this demo of this. And he, I remember him sending around the first sort of few Wild Hearts songs they got. And it was amazing because it was nothing like the... I thought... Obviously thought, oh, well, it's going to be, it's going to sound like the Choir Boys. That's a Rod Stewarty type thing. Nothing like the Choir Boys at all. This kind it, of it, power it pop, next you know. level. It was yeah, well, great. Well, well, let's get to them because they're another nearly band in my view. Um, yeah, they're probably slightly bigger than a nearly band. Would you say? No, I'm going. No, they were, but I'm still going to have them as a nearly band yeah. because. Well, they're I'll not te- superstars, but and that they way. should have been. Yeah. But I'll tell you why. Let me get back to that. Choir Boys. Assigned to EMI, you're quite right, but then EMI decide they need a manager. And it was uh, Nick Gatfield, I think, at EMI who got hold of Sharon. And that's how the deal came along. Right. I remember Spike telling me that, that, that within a month of Sharon taking over their management, he'd picked up a 160 grand publishing advance. EMI had completely reconfigured the deal. And he was the other thing. I was in L.A. a lot at that time. And I remember Sharon saying to me, are you going to be in L.A. on such and such a date? And I said, yeah. She said, good, because I'm bringing the choir boys over. Mm. And I think it'd be nice for them to have a familiar face. So literally, they come to L.A. <laughs> and I'm was, there the first night going for dinner. What was wrong with Sharon Osbourne at this stage? Uh, well, she was very shrewd. Yeah, no, she was very shrewd. Um, and so I did all the hard work in a way. I, I mm. schmoozed and we had fun and laughs and it was, was all this a the, time. But was this the trip where Ginger went completely off the rails, which ended up well, that's, being that's, why he was... Well, that's what I've, I heard I've got, I've got a memory that he they went to LA and was it they were going to start recording and they were meeting producers or something along those lines? Something along those along lines. Along those lines. It was a, fir- and, it was a first and he, I remember I remember him saying he ended up in some cupboard somewhere doing horrendous I, i've actually got a picture of ginger and me on that trip yeah sitting on a couch where i was staying at the time with a, a dog that also happened to live there and you know ginger had that really long hair yeah even i had long hair in those days but he had really long yeah. hair and all you can see is this bloke who looks, looks like a scarecrow comatose with a dog on top of him and me sort of sitting next to him giggling yeah yeah so i think that was the trip but I remember being astonished when they sacked him because, uh, okay, he might not have been the slash, but for me he was the breakout. He was yeah. the Fonz, you know, he yeah. was the breakout yeah, he character. Was, yeah, he was. You had Spike and Guy as a kind of substantial. Yeah, they were kind of very. Element. They were almost very much archetypes, weren't they? Spike was being positioned as a sort of young Rod Stewart. Yeah. You know, very gravelly. Yeah. Same sort of voice. But I always felt Ginger had. You know, I thought Ginger brought that little bit of extra yeah. to them, um, whether it's his looks or his well, stop. I mean, he kind of stopped them being a complete small faces knockoff, didn't he, really? Absolutely. Yeah. But then they get um, Jim Cregan, who'd actually, who actually was Rod Stewart's guitarist, mm. to produce the album. And they bring in the other little guy, I forget his name now, who replaced Ginger. He was more like a mini-me guy. It was another guy. I think he was also called Guy. They were was both he? called no. Guy. No, they were. They were both called Guy. But here's the other thing. The other, the other, You know, we talk about 
events that you can't control and that affect what happens to you. Who comes along at the same time, signed to Deaf American? Black the Crows. Black Crows, who are, you know, let's be honest, a kind of better, more ex- or more developed, more exciting idea of what the choir boys were, were going to become. And here's what I would add, because I also... I also did do a lot of work with the Black Crows yes, at that yeah. very moment, yeah. including Back of the Van, Little yeah. Gigs. Yeah. The Black Crows were workers. And I can remember... Um, so the first Choir Boys album, produced by Rod Stewart guitarist Jim Cregan, is a big hit in the UK. It gets to number two. Yeah, it was a big album, yeah. They even have a hit single with Hey You, mm. which gets to like number 14 or something, but they're on top of the pops. I remember going to see him at the Hammersmith Odeon and there were screaming girls yeah, in the crowd. Yeah. So they're, you know, again, we, you know, we're calling them nearly bands. For most bands to sell out the Hammersmith Odeon... And have a number two yeah, album. Yeah, a number two album. That's a bit more than nearly. And top of know. the pop. Yeah. Uh, true, but yeah. that was the extent of their fame. Yes, it was. One minor hit single. Yeah. One hit album. Yeah. Um, and by the time the second album comes out, um, it's just not very good. It's nowhere yeah. near as well produced as the first. All those wonderful songs that they'd been saving up for years that ended up on the first album. It's seven o'clock. Yeah. Time, time for a party. party. Yeah, well, that, yeah. Um, they're just not there on the second album. No, that's it doesn't right, even yeah. sound very good to yeah. me. It sounded mm. but it, But it's almost, you could have got away with it if the first album had been big in America. I mean, the Black Crows went through very much the same thing. They, by the time they do their second album, they decide they're the fucking Grateful Dead and <laughs> make a ridiculous record. But yeah. but they'd already sold but five yeah, exa- million Exactly, the, the, the first album is so good and it's so big. Okay, and by the time the second Choir Boys album comes out, Sharon's no longer managing them. And it seems to me like the whole thing has gone to shit. But I remember... Uh, Spike saying his, and I loved Spike. Spike is a much more intelligent pe- mm. person than I think people g- gave him credit for back then because he was always drunk or acting yeah. drunk. And but well, smart he had, yeah, he had. If you remember, butts and spikes in in the days before pubs stayed open beyond eleven o'clock. I think it was every Tuesday. Oh, they the, started um, up Butts and Spikes. Okay. And Butts was in Dogs Demur, is that right? Was he in Dogs Demur? Something like that. One of those kind of bands. Spike was in the Choir Boys and they had a rock night, which was this incredibly dissolute after hours what drinking. Was that club called? Was it called um What was it? It was it was a kind of offshoot of it was around the corner from the marquee, was it not? Oh, was it? Initially, it was. It, used to, it, it moved about three or four times because they kept getting chucked out of places. But I know the place you mean. I can't think what it was called because it, it would have a different theme each night. So, okay, okay, but here's the point. So, yeah, Spike was a, a demi-monde type figure, yeah. Second album comes out, flopperoony, no Sharon, no production, and it just comes and goes. But I remember Spike... As I say, intelligent guy, but I remember his narrative about this was um, Sharon had put them on the road in America and it was just endless. They just were in every bar, dive, Mm. shithole, left to their own devices, you know, all this stuff. And and his thing was, well, you know, of course, of course, we're not going to keep doing that, you know. 
And I remember thinking at the time, that's exactly what the Black Crows are doing right now. Yeah. But because they're American, in their mind, they're not going to America and being out there. They're just playing. Yeah. Anywhere that would have them. And that is how it's done, Mm. baby. That's how Led Zeppelin did it. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, if you want to improve as a band, that's how it's done. Yeah. Play Uh every single night. And build an audience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, all, but also build, you know, you'll write better songs, you'll play better, all and of those things. You're learning your in craft. In the days before you? social media, yeah. this was social media. Yeah. You go out and you play. If you're yeah. a rock band, you go out and you play. And you might be playing to five people, but you treat it as if you're coming on stage mm. at Madison Square Garden. That was always the philosophy. That's what Def Leppard did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anybody thinks Bon Jovi started out in arenas yeah. are, are insane. Yeah. So you're looking at these kind of minor crack, minor forks in the road where things could go, you know, I, one way or the other. I, I think with the Choir Boys, I'm not going to place it all on them because I've seen it with so many British bands, um, uh, from status quo, had one huge hit in the '60s and never mm. built on it. Um, you know, you've got your number two album, you've been on top of the pops, you've got your hit single and you're selling out Hammersmith Odeon. Job done, as far as a lot of British musicians are concerned. Yeah. No, mate, job has only just begun. That's your entry point mm. into the big But you leagues. need that. You need, you need that internal drive, but you need the external factors to come together as well. But, but they, 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 one doesn't happen without the other. No, no. You know, but it, but it's, there's a tremendous slice of luck involved. There has to always, be. Always, always. No, always. I mean, a- anything. Mm. Just us sitting here today, there's a tremendous <laughs> slice of bad luck. luck. <laughs> <laughs> I do keep wondering how it happened. But, you know, there's that saying, the harder I work, the luckier I become, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I, and I, I love Spike. I, I spoke to him just a couple of years ago and he, he still makes me laugh and he's still busy and doing tons of stuff. Yeah, but, they, do, they do very well now, the choir boys. They, yeah. But I think they're kind of in their comfort zone, you know. You, and I think that is a recurring theme with a lot of British bands way before the choir well, boys. And actually, you've just... Did they not? Support the Rolling Stones at one point, the Choir Boys. Oh, I don't know about that. I've never heard that. No. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Could be. Anyway, who's next? Right. You mentioned them. Dogs the Moor. Oh yeah. <laughs> now, Dogs the Moor. Dogs the Moor. They were like they were like kind of less good version of the Choir. <laughs> no, no, I disagree. I disagree. Well, I, you would disagree, but that's my opinion. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's, oh, so that we can't disagree with you now because that's your opinion. <laughs> Let's just end right now on yeah, that. That's it. Next ones, yeah. <laughs> Dogs the Moor had it all going on, except they didn't have the big powerful manager, but they did go to America on their own steam and they set up in LA. They actually just went there and kind of made it happen, and they absolutely had momentum at one point in the late eighties. What was the album in the Something Saloon? In the oh yeah, it was called yeah. In the Something Saloon, can't remember <laughs> the Jet Saloon, something like that. And do you remember but, they they put out a ten inch vinyl? Yeah, I do remember. In the well, days I do, the thing unplugged. I remember about the Dogs to Moor, who their PR was, Maggie Farron. Oh, right. She did all their PR. Gillian, most most especially, who worked at Maggie Farron, and. They always, yeah, they'd always be doing little things like because Tyler, the singer, stroke, guitarist, whatever he was, used to draw all the album covers, even the press releases. Yeah. They had a little frame around them that he'd 
draw. In the dynamite jet saloon. Something like that, whatever it was. But they just, I mean, to me, this may be unfair if it's unfair. Definitely unfair. You know, if it's unfair, life's unfair. Definitely unfair. Didn't have the songs. Hmm. You know. Well. If you're up against, it's like, the you know, if you're up against the Black Crows, you have songs like the Black Crows. Okay, I agree. I agree. They 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 never quite had the songs to match the momentum they had mm. and the kind of profile they had. Um, I do think that ten inch vinyl they put out that made a big impression on you. It did because yeah. there were some really good songs on there. Um, but also, Tyler was a huge Bukowski fan. Yeah, that's why you like. And I that's why you're talking LA, about him now. And I bought Tyler a copy of Septuagenarian Stew. Oh, did you? Yeah. And he got me to sign it. So they were really good. So never yeah. mind what so you So forget about say. that. I signed a copy of <laughs> a Bukowski book. Um, no, they. Did you they, take him to Book Soup? No, no, I, no. I bought it at Book Soup, but I gave oh. it to him wherever we were. Oh, know? okay. Um, now he, uh, they. I remember the drummer was called Bam or Bam. Bam yeah, and he's still in LA, as far as I. Because I remember looking him up a few years. He had years a very ago. beautiful girlfriend. He had. He ended up, I'm sure he is still married to Cher Pedersen, I think, who was in Vixen. I don't know. Something like that. I've no One idea. of those bands. Who are yeah. Vixen? They're a Another band. Nearly They're band. a nearly band, yeah. yeah. Um, but on the American scale. So Dogs the Moor, I think just... They were they were part of that, you know, that... that I think they were wrong era. If they'd been in the 70s, yeah, they maybe. done better. But then you had that recreation of the 70s, because around the time the choir boys are there, the Dogs de Moor are there, Tiger Tales are there doing their glam thing. And there's a little scene in London that they were all a part of, wasn't there? And they'd be at every gig. They'd blag tickets for every gig. Who they else were, was there? There was also... Um, Wolf Spain. Wolf Spain. Yeah. They weren't based in London, no, no, but they, were, they in were in London. Yeah. They were around a bit. They weren't around as much as Tiger Tales and, and Dogs de Moor and Choir, Choir Boys, Boys. All of those blokes were around all the time. The and, Tattooed Love Boys. Yeah. They Another were, band from that era that did yeah. make it very significantly, um, but kind of lost out on the main chance being America, specifically because of grunge, was Thunder. Yes. Good and I, I loved Thunder. When mm. Thunder came out in 89, um, I, I just, I, I just be, remember being so thankful because everything was either heavy metal at that point or it was uh, generic MTV, you know, Bon Jovi, White Snake. I got it. Mm. Even Def Leppard. I mean, Def Leppard for me, different. Some genius in there somewhere. But... There was just this more niche kind of marketed, promoted, you know, aimed at a certain demographic. Thunder come along, and of course, being a, a, a 60s and 70s child, I just thought, my God, it's bad company. It's free. It's the faces. It's bits of the who. I just thought, this is classic, mm. classic British rock, like the Choir Boys, uh, in a sense. But I thought much more together because they were a little bit older. They'd been round the block with Terraplane. They'd made a lot of That's mistakes. right, Terraplane, yes. Uh, had a huge deal with CBS. But they were in the 80s and they were kind of like dressed as Duran and even had the hair. They did, yeah. It was where you couldn't give away heavy metal or rock. So you're rock, well, okay, you're rock, we're going to dress you as Duran and you'll be modern rock, you know. Of course, and then we'll put keyboards and... 
thunder like they, they've been through that to the point where they're now like fuck it all Let, you know we ain't going anywhere let's just do what we want and suddenly they do this incredible album well though, I remember getting the demo because mm. Brian Munns well, because did Brian their press Munn, he, and he, go, and he, he did a great job didn't he he did because he, he, he kept it really on the DL he came he'd go around individually to people and go look he came to my house yeah, the yeah exactly he wouldn't do it to, and he'd go look I've got this little band I don't want to say too much about them. and he really did he went completely the other way the bar, bar to, was very low yeah, yeah it was like, just like look what do you think of this you know and, and he played and it was like Brian oh this is great, great. <laughs> yeah yeah but because he's underplayed it so brilliantly yeah and um, and that first album still at an all-time classic Backstreet Symphony. Yeah. It wasn't a huge chart hit, but it had huge impact. Yeah. They did Donington in 1990. Yeah. And Who else was at Donington in 1990? Was it White Snake? Was it White Snake? I don't know. That's why I'm asking it, you. It was White Snake because Slip of the Tongue had come out the year before. Right. It's definitely White Snake. Steve Vai. Um and uh, and then the second album, Laughing at Laughing on Judgment Day comes out. That gets to number two. Um, and, and and the only thing that stopped them from getting to number they were number one on the midweek chart. Right. But then Kylie's greatest hits came out. And so that went to number one and they yeah. were number two. Or as Danny likes to say, we spent a week lying under Kylie. Yeah. Yeah. And it was only a week. <laughs> um, but that had, you know, talking about songs. Thunder had songs. Uh, Love Walked In off the first Yeah, album. that was a great song. Fantastic song. That's when love walked in through my door. Yeah, it's a good one. I haven't heard that for but ages. I might play that later. I did a, a little tour with Danny and Luke in 2019. <laughs> not, not a musical tour. Music and speaking. So, you, you, let's just get this clear. You weren't involved with the music bit. I was sat next to them on the yeah. stage. Yeah. I was I was doing yeah. this. Yeah. Love no, they would door. do an encore every night, right? So yeah. they would change up the sets. So they do four songs in the first half, four songs in the second, but mainly talking with me mm. interviewing them, as it were, and lots of laughs. What were they talking jokes. about? Tell, well, 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 you have to turn up and find out when yeah. we tour again this oh. November. Oh, that's exciting. Yes, let's do a yeah. pod about it. Yeah, yeah, let's go on the pod road. <laughs> so they would change things up. They were really good, try and keep it fresh, you know. But every night when they did the encore, it was always Love Walked In. Right. And don't forget, at this point, everybody's happy, standing yeah. O's, and they'd come out to the encore. And it was just Luke on an acoustic and Danny... And me. On the bongos. And <laughs> the bongo man. And Luke would sit down without any any kind of it, just sit and he'd go, dung, 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 dung. And the place fucking exploded every yeah. night. And you suddenly realise, what a fucking song that is. Yeah. I mean, you knew it already, but. Yeah. So there was that, and She's So Fine, and the title track, Backstreet Symphony. Second album, for me, had way too many tracks. The first album had eight tracks because it was on vinyl. Yeah. Second album has like 14 because it's on CD, of which four you can just get rid of. But it did you, had... when, when you did your show with them, did you mention that fact? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Four. These are the four. No, I didn't say... <laughs> I didn't get into the actuality. Critical Luke, look, Luke, Danny, let me just stop you there for my critical <laughs> opinion of your second yeah, Let me album, tell you where you went wrong. Of your overlong second let album. Let me tell you where you went wrong. Yeah, yeah. Starting with 
Second album, Low Life in High Places. Yes, I remember that one. One of the greatest rock songs, I think, ever written. Okay. No, seriously. Yeah. Um, I remember Tommy Vance on his show said, um, "This I can't do his voice. You know? no. He was like, this is the greatest single ever made by a rock band. <laughs> and I thought, good old Tommy. Yeah, no, one on TV. Yeah. yeah. Don't fucking piss around. Just no, just, yeah. So that becomes very successful. In America, Axl Rose loves them so much that he facilitates them getting a deal with Geffen. David Coverdale loves them so much, um, they go on tour with him. They tour with Aerosmith, they tour with Hart. I remember Coverdale saying to me, I interviewed him when Slip of the Tongue came out, and he said, before we started, he said, um, tell me about Thunder. Who are this group Thunder? And I had to sort of tell him they're fucking better than you, mate. Mm. Yeah, I bet you did. Yeah. Oh, I'm straight with him. Yeah. I said, they're rubbish, David. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So um, they had this huge buzz. Uh, Dirty Love, they do a a new MTV video for it, the typical Girls in Cages era. But it gets played. I mean, they sold about 200,000 copies of Dirty Love in America. And and now it's Larry Mazer, Cinderella's manager, your old chum. Yeah. He took on the American management of Thunder. Suddenly there's a massive summer tour booked, you know, the, the sheds, the outdoor arenas. Headliner, David Lee Roth. Second on the bill, Cinderella. Opening, special guests, Thunder. And they told me that literally the night before they were to get on, go to the airport the next day, phone call, unpack your bags, it's oh. off. Whole tour cancelled because of this. I don't know if you've heard it. There's this thing called grunge. Grunge, yeah. And it's just about to kill you. Well, literally overnight, apparently all the ra- the rock stations in America just flipped formats and suddenly, instead of Thunder, it's Soundgarden. Yeah. And I remember saying to them, I find that so weird because to me in those days, there wasn't a million miles between Pearl Jam and Thunder. They both had these tremendous vocalists that mm. would have sounded normal in 72. And they both had guitars and kind of heavy rock and meaningful song. I, I, I still don't really no, see what the, the difference well, is. Thunder just weren't miserable and they weren't from that's Seattle. What they said, that's yeah. what they said to me. Yeah. We just weren't miserable yeah. enough. Um, but the tour gets cancelled and they're left in limbo. So uh, they were booked to do the Rip, Rip magazine Christmas party. So this must be end of 92. And um, so that's still in the diary. So what they and they've got some shows in Canada where typical thing you know you can be Marillion were big in Canada and completely unknown mm. in America. Same with Quo. Same with a lot of bands. Uh, similar with Thunder, they did well in Th- Canada, but n- nothing. So they off their own back they did the shows in Canada and then travelled down the west coast to get to yeah, LA. Yeah. And anywhere they could stop off, complete opposite to the Choir Boys, anywhere that would have them, they pitched up. And no one knew who they were. They, there were no posters, yeah. no promotion. And they said, every night we get kids coming back going, you're mm. amazing, who are you? Wow, who are you? And they get to LA and they do the rip party and they said it was so strange. On the bill was Thunder, Spinal Tap, Blimey. Pearl Jam and some others. 
and they said it was really weird because we because because it's a birth it's a Christmas p- birthday party whatever it is, and um, so they're all sharing dressing rooms. He said, "Remember this little kid coming in, going, oh, can I, you guys, do you mind if I have one of your beers, you know?" And it was Eddie Vedder. Yeah, yeah. And they were going, and Daddy's going, "You, you old enough, son?" You know, and 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 they said, and Spinal Tap remained in character yeah. for the whole evening. And they said it was so weird. We came out, we did some numbers, and it was it was literally. They said one half of the audience were like, "Amazing," yeah. the other half were like, "Ugh, wank." Yeah. Pole Jam come out, same thing. One half of the audience, yeah. The other half, oh, this is rubbish, you know. So to me, they had everything, everything it took to be... Because Free were big in America. Bad Company were mm. enormous. Zeppelin, The Who, Faces, Thunder. No. Didn't happen. So the third album they actually recorded in America, thinking this will, you know, this will help. Nope. And um, and that led fairly quickly to them being dropped by EMI. So between 92, when Judgment Day is number two, and 96, when they're now on a smaller label and I'm their PR, yeah. it's over. There's no, it's over, mate. I mean, they still had their fans and they were, they've always made great records. But the moment had gone. Mm. And, and now yeah. it wasn't grunge that was killing them. It was Oasis and Britpop. Yeah. Oh, and, God. Yeah, yeah. So that's that was a sad story. The, the, the nice postscript to that is that Thunder are now probably bigger than they ever. Yeah, were. their albums yeah. now. I mean, albums getting in the chart don't mean anything anymore. Nevertheless, they get in the charts. They're top five band again, and and they will do big shows. Yeah. Um, so to me, they were the the nearliest. Yeah, they were probably were. Yeah, the nearliest of the nearly men. Yeah. yeah, I still feel bad for them. Just to me, it's a wrong. We're in the wrong parallel universe. Yeah, here. they should have been big. But then, would they have enjoyed it? I don't know. Mm, Probably. I think Luke Morley would. Yeah, Luke Morley. <laughs> <laughs> he makes you up. Yeah, you know, he, he always had that lovely blonde or red, really. Lovely. Is that what you said to me? I said, sure, oh, you've, sure got lo- you've got lovely hair. You've got lovely hair. I said, oh, Luke, you've yeah. got lovely you're, it's hair. It's really lovely. The way Come it comes over, where it goes over your face, it's just <laughs> lovely. <laughs> No, it's all white and grey now. And he goes, I oh. know oh, it's Arctic blonde. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So, another nearly banned Go job. On, your turn. Go on then. Oh, your turn. Oh, well, I've got to think of one. Well, I would say Wolfsbane. And the reason I would say Wolfsbane is Good because, call. again, they had that moment where, you know, they're, they really did. Th- they tour with the choir boys. The, they do a joint cover of Kerrang! with the choir boys when they were, you know, when both bands were just on the verge of getting big. They sign a major deal like the Choir Boys, but here's their mistake. Because they're sort of sold as the British Van Halen, which is kind of what they were. To me, that's exactly yeah. what they were. They were fun party band, but great guitarist, yeah. amazing front man, all the rest of it. Um, they get signed by Rick Rubin. And now you're thinking... Yeah, no, well, you kind I don't know. See, in retrospect, and these things, you only ever really see them in the rearview mirror... This was the big mistake because they go off and make this record with Rick Rubin and everyone. And yeah, absolutely. At the time, everyone thought this is it. It's going to be massive. I think Rubin had probably, I mean, he'd done all the, the um, Beastie Boys stuff and the rest of it, but I think he'd just done the cult. He might I, have done. I, 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 mm. Or had he not done the cult at that the point? The album you're thinking of is Electric by the cult. That, that is. came out in 87. 
Yes, it was, yes, it was. I, I thought Wolfsbane was slightly before. No, no, it was slightly after that. Oh, okay. So they'd done it, yeah, so he'd done the cult. Probably so, the cult is big at that point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because that was a big, Electric was their big breakthrough record in America. Absolutely. They were on the verge of being a complete nearly band, mm. the cult, mm. you know. Certainly in America, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. They're a big-ish over here, but again, only sort of Hammersmith Odeon size. Mm. Oh, yeah. Hammersmith Odie was big enough yeah. for the choir well, boys, well, well, but apparently well, aren't big enough mean, for the cult. Well, no, I'm making a comparison. You know, you would now think of the cult as a huge yeah. British rock yeah. band, yeah. without a doubt. Mm. But had Electric not come along, had they, because when they made Electric, the guy who'd produced Rain and that previous record, Steve Brown. Steve Brown, he did a version of Electric, didn't he, that sounded like the previous stuff, that slightly jangly... Here comes uh, the rain. They were making electric. With Here Steve comes Brown. the rain. I, I interviewed Steve Brown about this a couple of years ago, a few years ago, and um, that album that eventually came out, the Beggars Banquet tapes or whatever they called yeah. it, oh. was the album they made with Steve, and decided they it, it, they didn't like it. Yeah, because it had to jump from that kind of slightly indie jangly sound and they clearly made the right decision yeah they did yeah because when they do it with Ruben it's like nah 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 Wildflower yeah Wildflower is on the Steve Brown sessions but there's no riff yeah yeah and what Ruben did Ruben this huge ACDC fan literally took that riff from a track called Rock and Roll Singer by ACDC which goes like this dan 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 yeah um and just added it. Yeah. And, um, and, and you know, and they took the cult were terrific because they had Asprey, who was an obvious rock star, you know, oh, down to absolutely. his boots. Billy he, Duffy on guitar. Yeah, Billy he Duffy, great good. kind of, yeah, you know, rock god guitarist. So they had everything they needed. They just, Rubin was the right move for them. Yeah. In the same way that Rubin becomes the wrong move for Wolfsbane because it knocked something out of them. It They sounded... Flat, you know, they 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 were a kind of real in-your-face loud band, mm. and that Ruben has that kind of mute, muted tone, doesn't he? You know, um, and I just think it just it just didn't work for whatever reason. It didn't work, mm. and that was their moment. And it's a real shame because then, once they realise that Ruben is a misstep, mm. they make a mini album, All Hell's Breaking Loose, down at little Kathy Wilson's place. That was almost like a demo. Fantastic. But it's fantastic, you know. But it's one step too late. And this is just the way things go sometimes. And then it really is one step too late when Blaze... Yeah, it gets the, gets the offer to join Iron Maiden. That's the end of yeah, the band, yeah. Are they, are they back now, Wolves? They're, they're back. Well, Blaze was sort of, from what I can make out, I'm no expert at all, but Blaze has a kind of solo career and a Wolfsbane career. So they sort of, yeah, when Wolfsbane aren't doing their thing, he's doing his Blaze Bailey thing, right. yeah. Now, Blaze, I mean, a, a nearly rock star. Um, yeah. I mean, he was, he was a fantastic personality. Yeah, he was a great front. I've seen still is very funny i saw like youtube clips of him on stage he's still very funny i remember when he joined maiden i remember thinking he was the perfect guy yeah i knew he didn't have a voice like bruce dickinson mm. and we're going to go back now to our old debate about yeah. Audiano. yeah but i thought i don't think it matters no he no because he, you would thought as good he, as he had the personality the personality yeah, yeah because he had that kind of you know it it never was tongue in cheek when he did the kind of mm. you know we're gonna we are gonna rock tonight. <laughs> it was funny, but it was also true. 
I do think in Maiden, though, he was stimmied by the fact that, if, if you like, uh, I want to say overthinking. Mm. I don't know if it was overthinking, but he had stuff to consider, which he didn't in Wolfsbane. Yeah, well, Wolfsbane, he was just entirely himself. Entirely, and he would yeah. run around, yeah. and it yeah. would just be larger than life. Yeah. I just remember in Maiden, him literally just standing at the mic for most of it. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that was because he was trying to sing. Yeah, but also it's that disorientating thing of, you know, he's slightly younger than the guys in Maiden. He's not as rich as the guys in Maiden. You know, all of these different things that impact on... Hey, and whereas, he's whereas, got to yeah, replace Bruce yeah, Dickinson. He's got to replace, whereas in Wolfsbane, he was just... They were they he were mates the from childhood. Yeah. What, was they, that singer, uh, guitarist called Steve Danger? No, Steve Danger was the drummer. Oh, Jace, right. Jace the Ace Edwards was the... Uh, <laughs> so, and of course, the you legendary... You far too well, much Jeff, about well, Wolfsbane. Because I knew that, but Jeff Hately, the bass player, was, when they all had little... You know, when Jace the Ace was Jace the Ace the guitar player, Jeff, Jeff Haitley called himself Jeff Debrini, <laughs> which me and Paul Elliott never let him forget. That he was known as Jeff Debrini is, from what? Tamworth. Is he Jeff DeVille? Je okay. Yeah, Jeff, yeah, De but Jeff Debrini. Debrini. I don't know. Who knows? It was just ridiculous. And Steve, obviously, Danger was Danger. And then... Um, he's a drummer, oh, though. Yeah, but then Blaze, is, you know, ba ba Bailey Cook is his name. So, he's, you know, he's, his first name is Bailey. Are you saying his first name isn't Blaze? Is it? Well, of course it's Blaze. Are you trying to ruin all my dreams? Of course it's Blaze. Of course it's Blaze. I named but, this but child Blaze. Blaze Bailey. Yes. Perfect. But, no, but, they, but they kind of, you know, they, and I remember as well a really sort of sad night when Blaze had decided to leave and the, the other, the three of them, Jeff and Jason, Steve, came into Kerrang when we were at Carnaby Street we ended up in that pub around the corner the coffee house and they were just you know distraught distraught and it was deeper than just yeah they completely understood why Blaze had, had taken the opportunity but it was yeah it was kind of more than a band you know it was like they'd spent so long well I think they are, the nearly bands all bands but the nearly bands it is acute they are more than a band mm. They're a dream. Yeah, that's they're right. A, they're and a it's never quite for, they're never quite fulfilled, you know. Um, which is a real shame because they made terrific music. I'm just trying to think that's a really interesting point you raise. Um, yeah, it makes you wonder how many kind of long nights of the soul they must have. I mean, talking to Spike on the phone a couple of years ago, some project rather didn't pan out at the time, but um he uh, he was so busy. You know, you're saying mm. Blaze has a solo career. I get that because I think it's similar with Spike. It's because some little label will give you, I don't know how much, but, you know, give you some yeah, thousands enough, yeah. to go make a record real quick. It's not expected to be a world beater. It's not going to come out all over the world. Mm. It's just going to turn over and make it worth doing financially. And then an album for the band and then another one for this thing and that thing. And um, they must have much. Spike is, is like I say, he's a very smart guy. You'd never yeah. get that far to the real Spike to know. But you can't help wondering if they do have those, those you know, moments yeah, I of wonder, despair. I wonder they... if, because if, if you say, well, you know, uh, in Spike's case, I've made a good living at this. Mm. You know, I've, I've, I've been a musician for my entire working life. Yeah. 
The only thing I've not been is overwhelmingly famous. Mm. I'm well known in mm. certain, but I'm not overwhelmingly famous. Right. But that's that's ninety nine percent of all musicians, isn't that's it? That's cold consolation, yeah. though, isn't it? If you're it, one it is, of those I people. But I suppose it's like saying, well, you know, I, again, going back to the football analogy, I was great. I was on Man United's books, but in the end, I spent you know my career playing for Oxford United and Peterborough. Well, I've still had still had a career as a professional footballer. You know, it's whether you think that's good or bad. You know, it's just it's just because for a brief time you were at Man United. Mm. Is that worse than being? Oh no! Well, I was signed by Peterborough, and I played at that level for my whole career. Mm. You know. Yeah, I hear. Okay, one last nearly band. Go on then. And you questioned them being Me? nearly banned. Go on then. Uh, for good reason. Yeah. And well, there there is a... something slightly unfair about saying this, but there is a reason I'm saying it. Yeah. Um, Wild Hearts. Yes. Now, yeah. this was the group Ginger, after being slung out unfairly out of the choir boys... Booted out on his Aris. ...comes back with. And this is a shock because I always felt... Because Ginger and I would mm. have a lot of talks and yeah. I knew for a fact he had more going on. We I mean, could tell you wrote for a magazine, you know, he had more going on than just being a sideman yeah. in the choir boys. Yeah. I knew this. I mean, wasn't he in Jason and the Scorchers for five minutes? And he was in some other yeah, groups. That, yeah, he was, yeah. But then the Wild Hearts. And almost as if out of nowhere, uh, he comes out with this, this music and this group that absolutely leaves the choir boys, the yeah. dogs, the I mean, war, the, everyone I mean, in the, their fucking Exactly. Dust. The, second you hear the, the second you hear the Wild Hearts... Caffeine you, bomb. Yeah, exactly. You know that he would never have stayed in the choir boys for very long. And, and for me yeah. in those days, because uh, don't forget, we are, we are talking still the grunge era. Mm. Uh, Britpop is on the horizon. Yeah. But he came out with something that to me was... Better than grunge. It was, yeah, yeah. I mean, fresher than Britpop, but could be played alongside them and not sound entirely out of place. They end up having quite a few sort of lower in the chart type singles. They end yeah. up doing Top of the Pops about ten times. Yeah. They they're on all the cool shows like um, whatever the fuck TFI yeah. Friday or something in that era, and and they to me it's like he's cracked it. He's in a great rock mm. band. But he's being seen as more than that. He's being seen as this, uh, I'm going to say pop, but I just mean that in a more mainstream yeah, kind of... Yeah, He's not ghetto-wise as no, a rock no, no. artist. No, they're a rock band that are going to have hits. They're sort of like the Chili Peppers or something. It, you know, exactly, that sort Faith of, No More. Yeah, that sort of band. Not, I'm not saying they sounded like them, but they're kind of they're the rock band that would have crossover hits. The rock band with brains. Yeah. Um, and yet, quite quickly... It becomes confused because, you know, CJ, is he in the mm. band? Well, see, this is, is the thing. Is he the uh, singer? Is he the singer? I think Ginger would entirely admit this was the case. You know, he had such bad drug problems that that came to overshadow the band. You Who, know? Ginger? Ginger, did. yeah. Right, right. And, and yeah, he did. He, I remember, like, yeah, it's going back quite a way now. I did go up, did a piece. It might have been for Classic Rock, actually. I can't remember. But went up to where he was living at the time, which was in the... Oh, I keep thinking it was Crew, but it was somewhere around Wigan, maybe Crew, somewhere like that. Had a nice house, everything. Had just had a little kid, and you know, he just actually cracked it with the crowdfunding, which he still does because right. you know he's got I this in, that, yeah. he's got this intense 
devoted yeah. audience yeah. that has stuck with him through everything he'd done. And, and, and understand it. Understand, because yeah, because he's brilliant. Because he's brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. And he just, and so he was back on the up when I went to see him. I said, Ginger, I've got to tell you this. I remember because we, at the time, briefly lived in a flat on the Finchley Road only for a few months. And I remember one Sunday morning going down to get a paper and there's a little news agent by the tube station, by Finchley Road Tube. And this sort of shuffling, white-faced figure came in. It looked fucking awful. It looked like a, you know, a vagrant. And I looked up and I said, Ginger. And it was Ginger. And he barely recognised me, you know. I mean, and we knew each other sort of reasonably well, you know. And uh, he barely... And he went shuffling. And I, 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 you know, I said... I was telling him this years later. And I said to him, mate, I've got to be honest. I thought you were going to die because you looked so bad. And he said, yeah, you know, it was close on several occasions that he was that bad he he's still a very troubled figure yeah um he without going into all the boring details but he and i were uh, discussing a project a couple of years ago and um it, i thought it was quite exciting you know and i was supposed to go up to his house i did my back in I ended up in mm. hospital actually yeah. um so it got put back and things just started to dissipate which is a real shame um, but during that time, we communicated again, and bless his heart, he 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 does. I don't think he forget forgets anything really when mm. it comes to the important stuff. And um, and so we were communicating, and and that was when really we kind of swapped. We had a conversation, if you like, about um, you know his malaise, you mm. know the depressions he suffers, yeah. the breakdowns. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's been sectioned a couple of times. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, all this stuff, like, you know... And he's very open about Yeah, but it. He, he is, and it's all of these things, you know, it's easy to see the, the drugs or whatever as the problem. That That's not the problem. That's no. what he's using to, to, deal kill, with the real to kill the pain of the real problem. Yeah. 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 I t one time um, I went to Top of the Pops with them. Mm. I'm trying to remember what the song was they had. I can't remember. Um, where the people go, I just want to go where the people. I, yeah, I want to go where the people go. Oh, that's what it's called. Okay, yeah. all right. Um, this is like the summer of I want to say ninety four, ninety five, and uh, ninety five because Oasis were on the same show, mm. and with that song "Roll with It." Oh God, <laughs> Jesus, they were terrible. But there was this real kind of mods versus rockers right, thing, right? And um, I remember being backstage and suddenly Liam Gallagher is there and we're down one end of the corridor. And it's not a long corridor, mm. but we just happen to be down the one end of it and he's down the other end. And him and Ginger are looking at each other. <laughs> yeah. And, and Liam Gallagher... Like two dogs in the park who've suddenly kind of caught sight of another dog. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, shouldn't I kill you? Yeah, yeah. Shouldn't I attack you? Yeah. But Liam Gallagher in person is, is not physically impressive. Mm. You know, he's... He was just a skinny, short guy. I mean, he looked like, you know, he didn't look tasty to me, mm. not in reality. Yeah. Whereas Ginger, yeah, you, you know, would think. <laughs> you don't want to get. Yeah, no. 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 I, I think, South Shield scrapper, yeah. yeah. And I just remember Liam Gallagher sort of giving it, like, yeah, 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 yeah. come on then. Now, this kind of stuff. I just remember Ginger looking at him like he was a piece of shit on his shoe. Mm. 
And we'd all had a small well, I mean, share. Well, I mean, the, the extremities, the, the, the differing ends of talent. I mean, you talk about luck, you know. One a guy, probably the luckiest person on earth at one yeah. end of the corridor. Never written a decent and, yeah. song in his and, life. And, you know, a guy who probably writes three songs before breakfast that are better than anything Liam Gallagher will ever come up with. Absolutely. Or Noel. I mean, yeah, Noel's or written Noel, some, yeah. some good songs, written but some terrible not Caffeine Bomb. No. Yeah. Or Geordie in Wonderland, yeah. you know. And I just remember Ginger, and we'd all had a small sherry. Mm. And I think quite a few of us are kind of like, fuck it, let's keep the shit out of the can. You know, go on, Ginger. You know. yeah. yeah, let's, when you say let's keep the what you meant was, go on, well, Ginger, no, you all, do it and I'll watch. No, we can't all pile on because that wouldn't be fair, but, no. you know, go on, Ginger. Your man will yeah, do you it. Got for, this, yeah, you yeah. got this, Ginger. And he, he, he didn't say it's not worth it, but you could tell he, he just, there was just, this was not a significant moment for mm. him. It was just, ugh, you know. Yeah. And then I remember Jimmy Nail was on the sh- same show, also from the northeast. But Jimmy Nail's a teetotaler. He likes to drink his cup of tea. Yeah. But he'd heard Ginger was from the north, so he, he called him into his dressing room. And they're in there for a while. He was like, yeah, Ginger, you want a cup of tea? Yeah. Brian Johnson was there. And... Yeah. Um, and so he went in and he had tea and he came out and said, what was that like? He went, oh, boring. Yeah, it was just, uh, they yeah. didn't, wasn't impressed with Liam Gallagher, yeah. wasn't impressed with Jimmy Nail. Yeah. What was he impressed with? I don't think he was impressed with anything. No. <laughs> I don't think he gave a fuck. No. He just was one of these guys who had so much more going on, still t- is, yeah, yeah, so much more yeah. going on. I really like, he really liked um, Cheap Trick. That's who he really thought were great. Yeah. And Jason and the Scorchers. And Jason, yeah, God inexplicably. Knows the only man in the world. Yeah, who really, really liked Jason the Scorchers. Did you yeah. ever hear their third album? Man, I've yeah. never listened to one yeah, of their yeah, fucking yeah. albums. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I tell you, there's a great clip on YouTube. Have you ever seen it of Ginger with Courtney Love? No. It's fantastic. I can't remember where it's from. or We'll just put Courtney and Ginger on the YouTube and look. And uh, it's a Courtney Love, it's a whole show. Mm. And, um, and Ginger's there. And he comes on to guest on a couple of numbers, but she has to explain to the audience who he is. And she's going, and I thought she got it quite good, actually. She goes, uh, yeah, I'm going to bring on my friend Ginger. You're going to love him. He's amazing. She goes, think of like Nick Cave, someone like that. That's who Ginger is. You know, kind of like Mm. he's not famous, but he's cool. Cool, cool, yeah. 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 So he comes on and him and Courtney do a couple of numbers and it's fantastic. But I thought it's so weird that she had to kind of explain. Explain who, yeah. But I think he's in that position. He's not... See, I wouldn't say he's a nearly guy because I think he's bigger than that. But he's in that position where he's a... I'd, I'd say he's a cult artist. Mm. That's that's the position he's in. Yeah, and, and maybe that's the right position. Maybe that's the best position to be in because he's not a mainstream writer. He's not... And he's still you know, come up with great stuff. Yeah, he'll come up with great stuff. And probably if you said to him, look, just write a pure pop song... Mm. For your publishing, mm. your publishers or whatever, he could probably do it, but it's not his sensibility, and I don't think overwhelming stardom is his sensibility. It's interesting, isn't it, that the ones we're calling the nearly bands mm. are full of people that are so much more interesting, interesting than the bands than the ones that make, yeah. make it. Yeah, 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 because they've got that nuance, and you know, they're kind of their lives have, have because they didn't follow the path that was necessarily you would have thought was set down for them. It's gone off in other directions. It's in, it's enriching in other ways other than just financially and in terms of fame, I think. Yeah. 
Right, John, lovely. Very good. Uh, hope you enjoyed the pod. If you didn't, I don't care. Oh, he's a wild man. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review, share it with a friend, or plain old subscribe wherever you listen to it. To getcha some conversation online, follow us on Twitter at GetchaPod. Until next time. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want.